Thank you for downloading from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Ravi Zacharias and the team at www.rzim.org. When God tells us that we are created in his image, that is the best compliment he has ever given to us. What does it mean to be made in God's image? That's just one of the questions we're looking at today on Just Thinking, as we return to a Q&A series from Hamilton, Canada. Let's rejoin Ravi Zacharias as we hear the first question on whether it's possible to be spiritual without God. I've got a few co-workers from work today, um, and one of my dear co-workers today was saying um, that he recently went away on um, a retreat where he was, um, it was like a Buddhist uh, retreat where you don't talk and you're experiencing silence and uh, no communication for, um, I think it was like 10 days, um, but he said it was life-changing for him. And then he made a statement, um, which I found was very profound. He said, it's possible to be um, spiritual but not believe in God. Um, I just wanted to know your thoughts about a comment like that. Yeah, I think the whole idea of uh, silence, solitude, meditation, uh, that was the whole point of uh, Gautama Buddha's retreat. The day his son was born, he left his family and he went and sat under the Bodhi tree. And when he received the enlightenment, he came with his Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path and so on and so forth. I think the danger of this is in taking the finger of one aspect of reality, you think you've grabbed the whole fist of reality. It's not so. Silence and reflection and meditation are wonderful things to enjoy in our lives. I'm always fascinated with uh, what was going on in Paul's life for the three years when he was in Arabia. What was going on in Moses' life for those 40 years while God was pouring himself into him. Our Lord himself, many of the early years we don't hear much about, and I frankly think it is what God pours into our own hearts in privacy and in quietness and in reflection and meditation But to come away from there thinking, therefore, that you can attain spirituality without God, both of those terms are undefined. What does it mean, spirituality? Does it mean you feel good about yourself? Does it mean you now can think in terms of ethics and uh, some sublime thoughts? Are you able to write more beautiful poetry? Or what is it? You see, the problem with uh, the religions that try to be ethical without God is the fact that you ultimately end up contradicting yourself systemically. I was talking with a PhD from McMaster, a woman, uh, Thailand's first ordained monk. I had about three hours with her when I wrote my book, The Lotus and the Cross, Jesus Talks to Buddha. And uh, I asked her, who is the best expression of nirvana in your way of thinking? Who has attained that nirvana or uh, what you talk about in the Eightfold Path or the Four Noble Truths? And she said, I would say it is the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama is the best exemplar of uh, what this is all about. 
So I said, but in your philosophy, to desire something is short of nirvana. The goal is to not even desire. That's actually what nirvana means. You cease to even will or want. She said, that's right. I said, can you tell me why he desires uh, the liberation of Tibet? (laughs) And she just looked at me. She said, can I say that he chooses to? So I said, you're telling me that he's choosing to do something that is hurtful for his journey to ultimate spiritual uh, nirvana or moksha, whatever. She said, we don't think of those questions. So then I said, in the second aspect of your philosophy, every birth is a rebirth. That's right. She said, yes, there's a reincarnation. I said, starting back from now, you move backwards. You've had a finite number of rebirths. If you start from now and move backwards, you've had a finite number. She said, I agree. But if every birth is a rebirth, then there had to be a first birth, if you've got a finite number. And in the first birth, what was it you were paying for by way of your karma if you hadn't had a previous birth? She says, I just told you, we don't ask such questions. There are so many unanswered questions in this idea of spirituality without God. Where do you get your essence from? Where do you get your directives from? Where do you get moral reasoning from? I know, for example, uh, people who go into uh, silence and uh, meditation, and they come back thinking all religions are right. Somebody else comes back thinking all religions are wrong. Someone else goes into silence and comes back thinking everybody who disagrees with me I need to get rid of. This is the kind of thing you have when you are self-reflective of your values. So the first thing let me say to the person, I affirm their desire to go and have that silence. I think it's a wonderful thing. Some of us need to learn that. But the whole point of opening your mouth is for something to fill it, not to leave it empty. And if you come back from a meditative process totally empty except full of what you want to think about, you will run dry. Sooner or later, you need an input of ideas or there will be a bankruptcy of expression as well. And when God tells us that we are created in his image, that is the best compliment he has ever given to us. There's a song in Hindi, Name Bhagwanhu, Name Shaitanhu, Dunya Jo Chahe Samjhe Mato Insanhu. Those who speak Hindi would have understood that. What it says is this, I'm not God. I'm not Satan. I am merely a human being. And if a person goes away on a silent retreat and comes back thinking they don't need God, they've actually become God, which is the worst kind of delusion anybody can ultimately have. We need to cast our cares and our lives upon him. The concept or what it means to be made in the image of God can be very difficult to understand. It seems like Bible scholars themselves have really struggled with that. And this likeness, this resemblance that we share with God seems to be rooted in our ability to understand, to reason, and to be relational. But I wondered if you could unpack that a little bit more for us. You know, in Mark 12, there are these two conversations. This man comes to Jesus and say, is it all right to pay taxes to Caesar? Many, many times I wish Jesus had said no. (laughs) It's not all right to pay taxes to Caesar. But Jesus' answer was fabulous. He looked at him and he said, do you have a coin? And the man said, yes. He said, give it to me. 
So Jesus looked at the coin and said, whose image is on this? He said, Caesar. He says, give to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. And give to God that which belongs to God. The man should have had a follow-up question. Follow-up question should have been, what belongs to God? And Jesus would have said, whose image is on you? That's the imprint of the Imago Dei. No other worldview gives you that beautiful description of who you are. No, you're not God, but there's a reflective splendor. And I think I will at least underscore two aspects of that reflective splendor. One of the great gifts God has given to us, also one of the most dangerous gifts, is free will. The freedom at self-determination. When you think about it, there are four possibilities in the created order. God could have created nothing. God could have created a world where we would only choose good. God would have created a world where there was no such thing as good or evil. Or God could have created this world where there was the possibility of good and evil. This is the only one of the four where love is possible. So for love to be possible, freedom was an imperative. So that Imago Dei is that self-determination gift that God has given to you and me. But beyond that, it is the capacity for moral reasoning. This is where, may I dare suggest, Europe went wrong. When you go back to the epistemological base of European thought, be they the German philosophers or the French philosophers, who they were, for them reasoning became the supreme capacity of us. You know, uh, I doubt, uh, I think therefore I am, a la Descartes. He shouldn't have said that, he should have just said, I think therefore thinking exists. But he took it to the eye from the capacity to think. But Gertrude Himmelfar, professor of ancient culture and history from uh, Professor Emeritus at Columbia University, in her book, in a recent book, Roads to Modernity, has a brilliant chapter about what made America and the United Kingdom very different in the early days to, say, Europe. And I think Canada follows on that too because her dominion was going to be from sea to sea uh, in the Canadian order. But when you take it, what she says, she said for the French philosophers and the German philosophers and all of their thinkers, reasoning was supreme. But you put the United States and, and I put North America in one group and the United Kingdom in the other, moral reasoning was supreme. It was not merely reasoning. It was the capacity to reason morally right and wrong, good and evil. In the Marxist world, these points were crossed and the electrocution that took place of millions of people in naturalism, that's exactly what was lost to. So when I see Imago Dei, I see two things. One, the capacity to reason morally, and one, the endowment of the freedom of the will. And those two not brought together are deadly. But when they are brought together and you choose to do that which is honorable, noble, and good, that's when you have the full reflective splendor of who God is. That is the gift of God when, we, when they talk about in their Declaration of Independence, you know that we're all created equal, endowed by our creator with inalienable rights. No other worldview would ever say that except the Judeo-Christian worldview. So I think that freedom and moral reasoning and confluence bring about the Imago Dei that God has created for you and me. So if, if the man had said to Jesus, you know, whose image is on you, uh, or Jesus had said to him, whose image is on you, Jesus would have been reminding him, you are more valuable than this coin. The coin goes to Caesar, but you are greater than merely a coin. You have the image of God planted in you with the will. 
We have to end the series there, but tune in tomorrow for more questions and answers from Robbie on the topic of identity. And you can find more information online at rzim.org or rzim.ca for those in Canada. Or to purchase a copy of this Q&A series titled Hamilton Open Forum, call us at 1-800-448-6766. Drew McNeil, director of the RZIM Academy. We want people to take the information they learn in our courses and become better prepared to answer questions themselves. We believe that the role that the individual plays when they go home, the follow-up questions, the questions that are more personal, the questions that aren't necessarily rational, but just need to be aired out in front of a listening ear, someone who's got the skills to lovingly respond and to give an answer and to help walk people through their questions and their objections. I believe that level of interaction is critical to what we want to see happen, and that's for more people to recognize that the Christian worldview is the most accurate description of reality. It points us directly to the God who created us, and it shows us how we can be reconciled to Him through Jesus Christ. For more information and to register for the next course, go to rzimacademy.org. Just Thinking is a listener-supported radio ministry and is furnished by Robbie Zacharias International Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia. 